was the first time you watched like the newest Grudge movie? Uh, I watched it in theaters when it came out. Um, so that was January 2020 mm. as well. I ended up watching it with uh, with my brother in law and yeah, my wife and we. Uh, my wife and I were pretty unimpressed <laughs> by it to say the least. Um, it was it was funny because then my brother in law didn't. He was not really kind of a movie person. Was a little more forgiving of just kind of the poor storytelling that we saw. So there's, it was pretty, actually pretty funny because Katie and I both looked at each other and we were like, wow, that was terrible. And he was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Like the weirdest thing about this movie, like just starting off, it's not like an actual like remake or, or like a reboot. It's more like, Mm. um, like a spinoff from like the original, like American remake of the grudge, the 2004 one. Right. Well, actually, I remember reading because um, I wanted to look up um, Hideki Shimiza, mm-hmm. Shimizu. Can't remember his name exactly. Uh, the the director of the original Japanese film and the director of the original American film. And while I was looking up uh, some of, of the kind of later Japanese uh, movies, uh, <laughs> I, I noticed that they had the American remake series. So that's the Sarah Michelle Gellar remake in 2004, and then the two sequels to that movie. They had that as the American remake. And then below that, it had its own section. It was called Sidequel, <laughs> like side sequel. And I thought that was really funny because I was like, yeah, that's that, that that makes sense. That's probably the closest thing that I've ever heard of it. Yeah, it kind of does. And it's you know what? Sidequel is like the best way to call it because it's kind of like that weird cousin in your family that like does a bunch of weird stuff and the family doesn't talk much about it so it's like oh you mean our uh, our side quoll just to like add some distance because um it's our third cousin second time removed yeah, exactly um <laughs> the the side quoll name is is pretty apt i was gonna say uh as well because it operates like a sequel in the worst way, which like, so, okay. So one thing that that sequels can do really well, I think is they can operate in a universe that you're already familiar with. So, you know, when you, when you're getting the first movie in a series, you're going to like lay down a lot of lore and exposition and stuff like that. So that, so that the people aren't completely confused. And obviously We'll get into how exposition is is done uh, well and how it's done poorly, specifically in the Grudge movies later, I think. At least I have a few talking points for that. But with this new one, they operate like simultaneously, like you should have seen the previous movies because they don't say certain things. But then at the same point, they also treat you like you have three brain cells and they're all just there to keep you breathing because they they over explain the easy to understand concepts and then just don't even touch on some of the harder to explain concepts the things that are that the that a non-familiar viewing audience would actually have a hard time understanding so like that's just an absolute failure of exposition i think (laughs) the 2020 grudge this is the annoying most annoying part it's like oh when i say the grudge say oh what are you talking about the japanese one the american remake or the newest american (laughs) remake and i'm like oh god damn it i gotta like tag on 2020 or else people are like oh what the i i don't remember that part oh yeah no duh because it's a different one that is that is a a problem with new new remakes these days is they just or even new sequels these days predator 
you know, the new predator, the old predator, you know, stuff like that. Like, it's just like, guys, can you just give it a title? <laughs> yeah, like predators. Um, yeah, so much better. So much better. Add an S, you know. The grudges. Whoa, the grudges. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> this time there's more than one grudge. Actually, you know what? That that would be a moderately accurate title for this because there are, there is a second grudge, I guess, now because it, the original series is still canon, but now it's like the exact same thing happened and now, but now in America and it's just... Flipped. Yeah, and I got like someone to talk <laughs> about that later. But for now, the movie starts sure. like... Uh, in Tokyo 2004 and we see one of the like mm. American characters her name is like uh, not like her name is Fiona Landers and she's leaving the the spoopy murder house in Japan and like <laughs> the first thing like right. she, she's calling about like how she can take care of like the person at the house and while she's talking something's in the garbage bag and it's like breathing and alive and then suddenly Kaiko mm -hmm. appears behind her and like jump scares and then she freaks out leaves travels back home to like pennsylvania america i think hugs family mm -hmm. and then sinister stare into the camera before we break into like the the uh curse spiel that they always do at the beginning of every movie of the grudge so in the research for this uh this podcast uh we both went back and rewatched the original uh, Japanese movie, the first American movie in 2004, and then this movie again, obviously. <clears throat> and in my notes for the original Japanese movie, uh, which I have a lot of positives and a lot of negatives, uh, my favorite scene in the entire series is in that movie, my favorite storytelling is in that movie, but my least favorite filmmaking is in that movie as well. But I would say that, uh, just a callback to that, there's... Um, there's a real problem with Juon that a lot of it doesn't have atmosphere. And what I mean by that is like atmosphere is, is it's like a delicate interplay of like a couple of different features of filmmaking, um, obviously writing, acting, cinematography. So like how the scene is shot, how the scene is set up and then lighting. Lighting is, is the one that I'm going to draw okay. to attention here because in that opening scene, it's broad daylight. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is in the middle of the day, in the middle of a s street in Japan, and we're looking at a garbage bag. Because <laughs> it's trash. There's no atmosphere. <laughs> it's just trash. <laughs> it's literally just trash, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and I mean, it's it, that that's something that happens a lot in Juan. A lot of the scenes are are lit very brightly, so the atmosphere is missing, um, or at least it's not innate, right? Like you're, you know, the music can be playing. Sorry, I forgot music. Music's a big essential part of atmosphere, but you know, the music could be playing and it could be all creepy, and then you know, it's in the middle of broad daylight. And I mean, like again, broad daylight scares exist and are done well in a lot of different things um but usually how broad the daylight scares work are it's shocking right you know it's not it's not ominous it's not sinister um and what i mean by that is like the garbage bag breathing that's ominous you know that's sinister what i mean by shocking is like oh, there's somebody, you know, you walking down the street all happy jolly like and you turn the corner and there's somebody eating somebody else on the mm. pavement, you know, a la Day of the Dead or any other zombie movie where that's that's shockingly scary. 
versus just kind of like, oh, you know, what's what's going on? Why is that garbage bag mm-hmm. leaving? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's just a failure of atmosphere. Yeah, personally. and uh, one thing I want to take note is that I, there's nothing wrong with like horror scenes in the broad daylight. Because in the other movies, those also happen sure. as well. I think the one problem with this remake yeah. is that it um, the horror isn't mundane anymore. It's very uh, in your face. Mm. It's very heightened. And the the thing about like um the American mm. remake or oh my god the two thousand four one and the Japanese one is that um, <laughs> yeah. it's very understated. Like it's very every day. Sure. Whenever the ghosts interact with the people they never touch them or very rarely do they do it's always like approaching mm. and there's just like weird lovecraftian fear all the characters have like there's nothing to like shoot at stab at or punch it's coming right. towards you and there's like this cosmic fear that's like just beamed into them they just can't do shit and um yeah, I, I think that's that's all about it. And and then this one, it's in your face. And I think it kind of loses that mundanity and it just becomes just like any other horror movie you'd watch. And it just doesn't make it gr- to grudge mm-hmm. anymore. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll you know, I'm jumping ahead here, but one of the one of the best scenes in the 2004 movie and in Juwan, I mean, it's less so in Juwan, but that's more of a constraint of budget is the final scene. Where um, in the 2004 movie, uh, Karen is laying, you know, she's she's just uh, just seen the history of of the Seiki family, and you know, <clears throat> she's trying to leave the house, and she looks up the stairs and she sees Kayako crawling down the stairs, making you know that that death rattle, and she's just like crawling towards her essentially, and at the same time, it's like. Karen is just you're getting it through Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance that she is absolutely like traumatizingly frightened by what she's seeing because this like otherworldly apparition is coming towards her and she's just laying there like oh fuck <laughs> you know like oh I'm yeah, gonna that, die that's the thing and uh, and that whole ending is so like so holy cow i can't do anything else but just lay here and die yeah and we'll we'll get we'll get to that like um that scene later Mm -hmm. but let's move on for now yeah and then uh, now we jump two years ahead 2006 and we have the detective lady don't actually remember this character her name is the she's called Muldoon. Muldoon, game warden so detective Muldoon moves to this pennsylvania town the, the same one and um we 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 found out that she has like a son who is it safe to say that he has like a learning disability or something? He definitely is acted that way. Okay. And her son is very reluctant to go to school. So Detective Muldoon does this thing with like, oh, uh, close your eyes, count to five, and then everything will be all right. And it's it's very, if you watched enough movies, you know this is like very obvious setup for a payoff. Mm-hmm. And right now I want to, something I want to mention right away is that, um, most of the grudge movies or the initial ones like Juan 2004 it's very like sociological like it doesn't center on one character in particular nor does it give flesh them out too much the main weak point you'd say is they have weak characters but I don't think that's the point in in the 2004 one for sure Um, I think the point of it 
is that it could be anyone. It could be you. It could be some random mm-hmm. person right. who happened to have wandered into the house to take care of someone, and this could happen. Well, yeah, and the problem it. with the 2021 is they trying to flesh out the characters when it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of hard to do that because by design it's not mm-hmm. possible it's like trying to jury rig your uh, car the the shoot to the moon that's just not gonna work and it, it well and, and, and because think, of that it kind of yeah. loses that sociological Sorry. edge and it just becomes this just another horror movie with a bunch of jump scares that looks like grudge but really isn't well i i think um it's kind of interesting because so one of the main uh complaints that you'll hear from a lot of people when it comes to the grudge series in general and juon in particular is that that the way that the story is told how um you know it's told through different timelines and it's told from a bunch of different perspectives and stuff like that and especially in juon it it does jump around quite a lot i mean it's always it's always understandable because it jumps forward usually um, and you get like every time that you're disoriented by a jump, it does kind of give itself uh, like it does tell you <laughs> eventually, you know, maybe not right away, but it gives you like a good enough indication of what time it is or what what year it is later on. I think the part of that is or what what that does, because it's like a bunch of vignettes, it's a bunch mm-hmm. of like shorts kind of stitched together. It does end up giving it that like you said, like that sociological feel where it's just like a bunch of different people in comparison, uh, because you're, because you're absolutely right. I think with, as far as, as far as the 2020 one goes, how it, they do attempt to flesh out the characters. I feel like they fail miserably. Like I don't three quarters of the characters in the movie are exposition. That's it. You know, but <laughs> I think uh, I think when it comes down to it, the uh, the thing that the thing that Juan does it that makes that more for- forgivable is it gives a lot of characters, right? It gives I, I mean I think it's double the amount of characters in both of the American remakes, and to kind of also talk about or to compare the two American remakes, the twenty twenty and two thousand four. I mean, my biggest complaint with 2004 is that the characters in it are fairly weak um, still, as far as like pure characters are considered. But I think that they do a sufficient job in giving us, like you said, that kind of sociological feel to it. Whereas because we do only have, I mean, what, like six characters, seven characters in the Mm -hmm. 2020 movie, you lose both because the writing is poor <laughs> you don't have a good idea about any of the characters and because the the time with these characters is so split up you're still not getting a good idea with these characters either so it's just kind of a fail on both ends so it's too all bad right. um, <laughs> before we move on just one thing i want to mention all right so mm. in the opening scene of the 2021 the 2020 movie just to be there's no 2021 grudge is that um <clears throat> When when the when the Fiona Landers, the mom like hugs her family and stares into the camera all menacingly, like you and I both know that there's like a murder that's gonna happen. Like there's no, you can't right. fool me into thinking like oh the twist is they actually want to get ice cream. Nobody dies. It's like screw off. You didn't. They definitely die. Why are you yeah. doing this to us? What are you treating us like an idiot? So that's why I like the um, the <clears throat> the Japanese one more because it just starts off with like 
like okay. bunch of weird crime happening and it's like it's because you know i both right. know something bad happens so okay great it already happened but you don't know why you don't know how so that just keeps you sitting there and that's right. a better way i think to build a mystery and a hook than just straight up like oh she's something menacing is gonna happen what do you think is gonna she's gonna kill them you and i both know they're gonna kill them okay buddy and i mean one one thing to comment on with that is is this director he's self identified as a big fan of the the grudge movie that means that he's falling into the trap of not necessarily amateur writers but like fan fiction writers so when you are writing when someone's writing a fanfic uh, the number one thing that people like about writing fanfic is, oh, it's just like this universe that you know, just like the story that you know, but the characters that you like and already know are in a different world now, right? So it's just like Twilight, except Edward's a billionaire <laughs> and Bella is an idiot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instead of like right? Ayako, it's um, just Fiona Landers. And it's the same, but just different, but done in like the worst way possible. Well, and the funniest part is, unless I'm unless I'm misremembering that fucking horrible ending to the 2020 uh, movie, Fiona is the murderer, not the murdered. Right? She's not the new Kayako. Her husband is. She's the new Takeo, which is the I, husband's name. I think so. Um, probably. Right. <laughs> But now, okay, I'm trying. I'm trying to rack my mind here, and I literally don't remember seeing Fiona's ghost. Maybe I'm just completely misremembering. This movie is very forgettable, everybody. If if you haven't seen this movie, it's very easily forgettable. I literally don't remember if Fiona was the main ghost because I remember seeing her husband all a lot, and I remember seeing Melinda constantly. And it happened to feel way more um, annoying than uh, than seeing Toshio. Toshio is the son of Kayako. Because you see him all the time as like a, just a normal ghost kid. Not like scary white yeah. ghost kid. But you just see Melinda like constantly. Like if I remember correctly, she's like the main... The kid is the main like bad guy yeah, <laughs> throughout the whole kids. movie. If, if I'm not misremembering. Yeah. Don't have kids, apparently. That's that's the, the grudge twenty twenty. Don't have children. <laughs> well, I mean, there is the the, the John Cho's character. Oh, yeah. We'll um, get to that. We'll get to here. that. Peter. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay, but yeah, Peter and his wife. That's right. too bad. So after Muldoon, Anyways, we meet sorry. Detective Goodman. He's mm. yeah, he's a good, a good man. man. He's a good pious man. <laughs> he's you see him praying. Um, he has like a lung lung thing. He probably has lung cancer. He ain't good. He's coughing, but he's also smoking. Right. And we jump to like the right. police station where he's like with his good old cop friend, and they're expositing about how uh, Detective Muldoon came here after three months. <laughs> he just straight up says like, "Ugh." Oh. Oh, she came here after three months. Uh, her her grandfather had cancer and died, and that's why they're here. I'm like, what the fuck? No, it was her oh, husband. Oh, whoops, it was her, her husband. husband. Who died of cancer. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her husband died of cancer. <laughs> grandfather. <laughs> oh man, this is hilarious. We're like, we know like the two other movies 
more or less pretty well. This one's all sorts of shoddy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I I like okay, so here's the thing. I can I can pretty much off the top of my head recite the different whatever everything you need to know about Juon about the 24 uh, 2004 movie. I literally am struggling to remember any of the characters' names. The only reason why I remember any of them is because I am literally looking at the Wikipedia article <laughs> right now. Yeah, I have like the <laughs> That's the only right now I have like the uh, the movie on Prime right now, and I'm just scrubbing through it just to just to know what the hell's going on. Because <laughs> like in the Wikipedia one, it's like a chronological, so it's just yeah. ah right <laughs> yeah. Why? Oh, I mean, it's funny actually because watching it or reading it on the Wikipedia article, I now actually understand the timeline oh. <laughs> a <Yeah>. little better. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't understand the time timeline um, as effectively uh, because the story was told so poorly that I thought that it had been a couple of years. All right, so uh, yeah, okay. Dr. Muldoon and Goodman they they drive all the way to the crime scene in the forest where there's like this car that's crashed mm. into something and there's a corpse inside and she's all sorts of mangled and this is where like forty four Rayburn Drive gets mentioned and it's like ugh. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Muldoon's like, oh, what's a uh, 44 Rape and Drive? And Goodman's like, oh, he's all yeah, ominous. Nice and it's like, it's pretty obvious you shouldn't go there, lady. But to be fair, how would you know? It's just a house with some bad juju. That's it, man. It's like, you can chalk it up to religious guy. Well, I mean, I mean, like, Goodman, Goodman is such a weird character. Okay, so here's the thing. The writer desperately didn't want to write a research scene. That was what they were avoiding. Like, in the 2004 movie, they do some research. And she figures some stuff out about the house. And she and, and Karen goes to see Peter's ex-wife, or Peter's, not ex-wife, Peter's widow. She learns things by talking to people and piecing together information and, and looking at the newspaper. But the writer didn't want to do that because this is 2020 and we don't do research scenes anymore. So he, Goodman has to be alive still. And not fucked up so he what operated an entire murder investigation without ever going into the house within which the murder was committed that doesn't make any sense (laughs) the hilarious thing is like oh man uh he's a detective who'd never walked in the house and it's like oh Mm -hmm, hey buddy mm -hmm. his partner is like why don't you take one for the team this is a different partner by the way and the funny thing you said uh you said about no research scenes because immediately after this car scene, we have a research scene. <laughs> oh, fuck. I totally forgot. Okay, see, guys? <laughs> I have an amazing memory, encyclopedic memory of fucking two, two other movies. I completely forgot that that scene happened. No, you know what it was? It's because that, that research was completely negated because they keep going over that same information over and over and over again that I forgot that the research scene actually happened. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. All right. So um, af- afterwards, so our buddy Muldoon here looks over at the case file of the Landers. because like, oh, mm. what happened to the Landers in this house? And uh, she decides to go to Rayburn Drive. And it's, so the house, it's at the front of the house. It's only like lightly trashed. Like there's a few white garbage bags kind of littered everywhere. Mm. Yeah. And she, she walks up. <laughs> And yeah. she wants to go inside. Uh, she knocks on it. Doors open. She comes in, or doors unlocked. She comes in. 
And it's, you know, it's real creepy, you know, it's real sickly looking. And we see uh, our good old lady here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's Lynn Shay, but in this movie, she's Faith Matheson. And she's all sick and yeah. grody, <laughs> and the house is just a mess. And she's always, like, cutting something. And mm-hmm. and this lady doesn't look good. She she looks like she's, like, one step right. away from becoming a zombie. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm, so, right. I'm so hungry. Oh, boy, give me... Give me food. I need help. And then it, we learned that she's like mm-hmm. missing like all her fingers on one hand because she presumably ate her hand. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, she was chopped. I think she chopped off like we saw her chop off. Yeah, her she fingers, was like probably cutting hand. something on the chopping block. I'm not entirely sure. And this is also right. when we find out her uh, husband is dead on the couch and he's maggot food. This is where yeah. afterwards Muldoon just calls for backup or whatever. And that's the end of that scene. Really, really quick here. I watched the uh, the 2020 remake. Then I watched the 2004 remake. And then I watched you on in preparation for this conversation. And while I was watching the 2020 one, the first thought that came to my head when I watched this scene was, does she not have the sense of smell? <laughs> because she just walks into the house. And she's just like, la-di-da-di-da, like, no care given, doesn't even react at all. She's not like, ooh, it smells bad in here. She just walks in and is like, yo, Lin Shay, what are you doing? Oh, you're chopping your fingers <laughs> off? That's fucking wild. And then she's like, oh, your husband's over there. I'm going to go talk to your husband. And she And she doesn't, like, react at all until she's, like, touching the guy, right? And he is really fucking dead like yeah. <laughs> black putrefaction dead like he is super duper dead <laughs> and she can't and she doesn't even react <laughs> she's just like oh there's a dead guy here it's crazy it's like you don't have a sense of smell do you because that smell the smell of a dead body is like bad enough that people can usually report the smell of a dead body outside of like houses where people have died and been oh, left i'm sorry taylor how, like that's that how do you how know what a bo- dead body smells like dude because i've got one rotten in my basement oh right my now. god citizens like, arrest i'm a true horror fan of course i have a dead body rotting in my basement right now no it's just like people like people report like being able to smell dead bodies like fucking outside of the house that they're in and yet this muldoon a detective mind you who just came from a crime scene with another completely like super dead body in it which she also didn't read nobody reacted to the smell of that dead body by the way of the lady in the car nobody did they all were like yep there's a dead body there it's like if you go to actual crime scenes or or just watch crime procedurals they always are like, oh, yeah, this is a stinky one. And then they, like, put shit on, like, Vaseline, not Vaseline, uh, like, Vicks VapoRub and shit on their <laughs> mouth or their noses. Right? And yet these guys are just like, la dee da da let me get a good breath of that fucking disgustingly rotting woman and man. But anyway, so that happened in this movie. And then, weirdly enough, it also happened in the 2004 movie where Karen walks into the house where a lady's been laying in her own piss and shit for the last, like three days or whatever and garbage <laughs> everywhere and she doesn't react to the smell of anybody and then the same thing happens in juan except in juan they actually address that that's disgusting <laughs> like there's there's a scene where rika is the 
Karen analog in uh, in the Juan movie. She's like cleaning up the lady, and it's gross. Like you see the hanging uh, bed sheets, and they're like covered in piss, and like ugh, looks disgusting. But she reacts to it, and it's just like those tiny little things of your characters actually reacting to things. Like the only reason why I could imagine why they wouldn't have them react is because they wanted to like keep it a secret that there's something wrong but it's still gross why that's like yeah it's gross enough that you don't have to like she can walk in and be like it smells bad in here like that's fine you don't have to keep it a secret that it smells bad in there but yet again because the director was asleep (laughs) (laughs) while he was while he was directing the movie he didn't realize that that was probably something that he should have gotten his actor two points two points so um yeah, a, w- a way to rework that is, like, there's definitely a spell, and Muldoon, like, sees the, the husband okay. in the chair and approaches him first, but then, you know, like, like the, mm. uh, the Faith Madison, Lin Shay, is like, oh, I'm so hungry, and each time Muldoon keeps trying yeah, to she, go like, away, the, uh, Faith mm. keeps, like, coming forward, like, I'm so hungry, and it's only then, like, when she's... Let me eat Yeah, once, once she, like, sees her messy hand... And then try to go to the husband, and it's like, then play it all out. Well, there's, I mean, and you know how ominous it would be if if she saw, like, because at first, like, we see, like, a clip, a quick cut where we see the husband watching TV in the other room, dead, obviously, but yeah. he's, like, sitting in his chair, and you can see the back of his head, mm. and he just looks like a dude, you know? Like, he doesn't look, he doesn't look rotted from behind. So it's like, they could have just it could have been as simple as just having Muldoon try and then just show like a out of context, like little flash of him there and just keep building up the tension rather than not, (laughs) not building the tension, which is what they did. (laughs) Yeah. And like speaking about the, the piss scene, Oh my God. in both movies (laughs) is, um, uh, when you compare the Japanese one to the American one, you find that Juwan has like, um, it's very, you know it's kind of Japanese cinema if they like linger on shots and just let you soak in on the atmosphere and they just like mm-hmm. focused on like the puddle of piss when Rika looks at it. You can really like feel how yeah. gross like you you instantly smell mm-hmm. like a subway like a really gross subway from downtown. I don't mean like a sandwich <laughs> shop. I was thinking, I, my first thought was sandwich shop, and I was like, yeah, you know, sandwich shops kind of smell like this sometimes. Yeah, when, and, and compared to the American one, it's very, you mm. see it. It's gross conceptually, but you don't really feel it. And right. that's because, like, it's very efficient. Like, the way it's filmed, the way it's yes. edited, it's very streamlined yes. in this, like, very American way. And it kind of... In, in, a, in a negative way. Yeah, and sure. that's how, like... And remakes, some things kind of get lost in translation. And I think this is one of those mm. moments. Well, I mean, this entire 2020 movie is, I, I think, efficiency that you hit the nail right on the head. Like, the entire 2020 movie is, it feels like it's in a rush. It feels like it can't wait for us to watch it, if that makes sense. Not in like an excited way, but in like a, I'm, I want to get the fuck out of here kind of way you know so it and and like one okay so one one good example of that is is fat white cop um <laughs> whatever his Detective name is greco. uh in the 2020 is his name greco yep. that's a very interesting name but anyways uh 
fat white cop says instead of us learning that Muldoon's husband is dead instead of us discovering through honest dialogue or or she admits it to Goodman or something like you said oh oh her husband died three months ago when she moved here it's like Greco leave get the fuck out of here we don't need that like we don't need your help please go (laughs) because that same character does the same thing 10 minutes later in the movie to fucking Muldoon when she's looking into Rayburn she goes she's looking into it and, and he walks in and he goes oh don't let Goodman see you looking at that it's like dude get out of here what the hell are you doing in this movie leave like you're completely unnecessary as a character you know right, Greco alright All right. so after the uh, <laughs> the house scene she's driving back yeah. well she's driving somewhere on a highway and it's at night and then she she drives past this lady on the road with a baby and she's like, oh, creepy, okay. It keeps on driving and then all of a sudden right. she sees this Who ghost the fuck is that? and then she stops like, ah, oh, there's nothing there. Yeah. Well, she almost like T-bones a tree too. Oh, really? Who is the lady with the baby though? That's a... Is that Nina? I I think oh, so, maybe. I, why does she never come back at all? Like, I don't... That is... Oh my god, it, like, again, this is like my third or fourth time watching this movie, and I just, because I have the Wikipedia open, I just connected the dots that that random lady on the side of the road is probably Nina, who's the realtor who's pregnant. Yeah. I That is embarrassing, one, because I did not know that, but she's so underutilized, I didn't even consider that that's who that was. <laughs> okay. So my There's bad. one thing I want to bring up in this scene. So in Juan, most of the scares, whenever it involves the ghosts, in one way or another, yeah, uh, there's this pervasive theme in loneliness in uh, Juan, where okay. the way to show it is that whenever there's like a ghost thing happening, there's always a close up of like the mm. victim and the ghost, and whenever they turn to look, it pulls back mm. into this wider shot, and it's clearly right. empty. And it, it kind of shows that, like, all these scares, all these hauntings are so confined to you. It, it clings to you like some kind of right. stink. And you're, like, very lonely. You're are on your own. And you, also, and you see this, like, everywhere else in Juwan where it's just, like, all these characters, they're always alone and on their own and all that stuff. As mm-hmm. these ghosts attack them. And even in scenes where they're, like, around people, they're always alone. And that gets lost in translation just a little bit in the 2004 American remake where it, where instead of like that sort of loneliness specific to kind of that culture, it's more like you're mm-hmm. a foreigner in a foreign land and you're lonely in that way in these strange customs you well, don't yeah, understand. Well, yeah, yeah. No, um, I mean, sorry, just an example of that. Uh, I didn't actually, I personally didn't actually make that connection, <clears throat> but a good example of that is is a comparison between the two. So Rika, um, who is the sort of main character of Juan, she she's single. She doesn't have a boyfriend yeah. or a husband or a wife or girlfriend or whoever. She's single. She lives yeah. alone. All the other characters are by themselves, like you said. The only time that we see multiple characters in like the same room getting haunted is with uh katsua and kuzumi kazumi kazumi and katsua i think 
no 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 the the husband and wife um jennifer and matt but in the japanese version oh uh, um so the husband and wife with the mom katsuya i think it's katsa and katsuya yeah there we go so anyway so those two are the only two that we see together and actually um that plays out in a way really quick i just wanted to mention it because it's my favorite part of the entire series is the scene where as his wife is getting killed or choking to death or whatever's going on, her husband, who's really worried about her, sees Toshio. Toshio growls at him like a cat. And then we see like a close up on his face, just as he's going to like, he's trying to find help for her. And just as he's leaving, we see a close up on his face. And this is like my favorite part. He kind of like looks down a little bit. And, like, does this weird thing with his face, and you immediately, like, snap. With no additional prodding needed, with no flashing needed, you know this guy is now possessed by the husband. Because he's he just takes on the same mannerisms as that other actor. And then that, I think, was a really, really good little scene there, because it shows, like, it shows the effects of this curse, right? It shows that part of it is possession, and part of it is, is um, like, it can change who you are as a person. Uh, and I just absolutely love that scene, just just really mainly for the acting and the visual and the effect of it. But uh, I think that a lot of that loneliness is lost in the remake, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll point to it, and it's another useless character that doesn't need to be there, and it's Doug. <laughs> Doug doesn't need to exist. <laughs> Doug being uh, Karen's boyfriend. He's, he's such an irrelevant character, yet he's still... Uh, he keeps showing up randomly, essentially. Okay. Yeah. So after after Muldoon does the the highway thing, she goes to Goodman's house to just right. ask him about what the hell happened. And this is where we learned that like uh, Goodman decided like, ah, I didn't I didn't like the the juju in that house, so I decided not to enter. Which I think that's like a weird stereotype yeah, of like religious uh, Latin types or whatever, who are like ah. Totally. And it's like, I'm not, ooh, I'm religious, and I can sense with my religiosity that this is bad. And, and it's now that I'm thinking about it, that's kind of racist. <laughs> or at least at it, best, a stereotype. It is definitely a stereotype. Um, and it's actually, it's it's one step worse than a stereotype. It's also typecasting for that specific dude. Because he he plays that same or similar character in so many movies. I can't actually remember his name off the top of my head. His name is domain Bashir, but he just seems like every time i see him he always seems to be playing the same kind of dude oh he's in he's in the nun as father burke oh boy oh actually apparently he's an alien covenant i don't remember him being super religious in that movie oh yeah no he he was one of the security guys i think right he was like maybe crushing some wheat <laughs> looks at it he's oh, like oh actually okay wait, 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 wait. he was the guy that had he was the guy that it was his husband that got killed by the alien when they're out in the field, I think. Oh my god. So yeah, uh, while you're looking it up, yeah. like I think Goodman's character is kind of useless because he just exposits some stuff, does some creepiest, ominous stuff, and it's just that's it. He never like comes back into play into anything relevant. Like yeah, he comes up in certain like scenes, flashbacks to give certain things context maybe right but even then you could kind of cut him out and nothing much would have really changed it's more like he's there to like anchor the past and the present but other than that he doesn't do much 
and he has like pizza on the counter with flies everywhere. And it's like, come on, dude, just throw it out. Treat yourself better, man. Okay. He's depressed. He's not allowed to treat himself well because depressed people cannot get over their their agony or their uh, you know their depression. That's not allowed. As somebody with depression, yeah. you know that's real real to life. Of course, not at all. But anyway, this guy's like religious to the nines he's watching some like jesus program on tv like come on <laughs> give him something else to watch give him like the bachelor or like jersey shore something something else like come on something give good him during 2006 character. You know what I mean. <laughs> exactly well okay so with goodman goodman is obvious an obvious original character do not steal version of uh the two detective characters in Juwan and the 2004 movie, I feel like they feel they felt like they needed to have this like guy who's been there. But in both of those movies, the guy who's been there, cause like he's, he's so, okay. So really quick here. I don't remember the, the, <clears throat> the character's name, but I remember him as Izumi's father in Juwan. Mm. He was in a similar situation where it was, the rest of his like precinct had gone to the murder house during the original murders and are now like his buddies are all dead and it's just him and he quit. So it's like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And then he's like, Oh, now that I know that that's why it happened, I'm going to go burn down the house. So it doesn't happen to anybody else. Right. So that, that's the scene with that guy in Juon. The same exact story is reused in the 2004 movie except it's some other guys in my precinct went to do the the murder investigation and then okay they all died that sucks but for them it wasn't so obvious it was like no you know like the two dudes two of the guys uh died mysteriously and one guy like fucking just disappeared so those two characters make a lot of sense because the people around them don't stay alive for a long time. They die almost immediately and they die mysteriously before they even know what's happening, right? Like these characters, these other cops don't know that it's a creepy murder house that did it. They just go, Oh, surprise. It turns out that the, that this is what it was that did it to them. Whereas now Goodman has his insane police officer friend who's still alive, mind you, after like a year, <laughs> actually two years, this guy is still alive, but he like, he knows, Goodman knows that it's a creepy murder house. And yet, it, like that, that's, that's another example of this writer and this director not knowing why these other characters make sense, why they make logical sense. They just go, oh, you know, this is a character that they had in the other movies, so let's just make him like a, you know, our our mentor character for our main character who doesn't know anything. It's just, it's it's lazy writing, and it's it's stealing, but it's not stealing the right things. It's it's really, it's really stupid, is what it is. <laughs> oh, just uh, just to let you know, we're only 20 minutes through like the 2020 movie at the moment <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> okay right. so let's yeah okay so now we jump to john cho with a uh, uh betty gilpin yeah peter and nina respectively and we find out uh, nina's pregnant and her child may or has a light has a high chance of being born with adl which means like active daily living, so ALD. disability, yeah, or 
Master. Adrenalucostrophy. I think you looked up the wrong thing. <laughs> I don't, I don't, nope, that's not it. I, no. I swear to God, that's not it. I'm looking okay. this up. Oh, damn it. It's ALD? <laughs> it's ALD. <laughs> God. God damn it. I typed in the wrong thing. That's I'm okay. So, but that doesn't Baby matter. What matters sad. is that, um, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like that. <laughs> it's a very like stereotypical screenplay writing where it's like, how do I get these pe get the audience to care about them? Right. Oh, they have a pregnant wife. Oh, they have a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's never like, like that's it. That's all the reason you need to care about them. And then they throw in this like ALD, and it it technically should, but because it's like there's so many characters and there's not enough really time, mm -hmm. and they don't use it well, it comes off as falling a little flat and overdramatic. There's just one thing I want to bring up sure. right now. Is um like in the 2004 in Juwan, there's this idea of like intergenerational trauma and mm. it's represented by the house. Right. And how this one house basically links the past to the present. And that's mm -hmm. with like with Izumi when she sees her father in right. the future, past, future. complicated. So Izumi's yeah, only future. ten in the cops in her dad's timeline when he dies because he dies yeah. trying to burn the house down, and then Izumi is there as like a teenager. And um, and in the American remake, two thousand four, it's when Karen like happens upon this, like why everything happened. It's because of right, which kind of falls a little short in the remake because it's like um, it doesn't really pertain much to Karen. It's more like, oh, so this is what happened. Instead of having that like more sociological feel, the Juan setup where it's like um, this curse, this grudge, whatever it may be that lingers, that has a very radioactive feeling to it. How it clings on to you, and it could like well. One thing I will pass on to I other will people bring in up, a way. Actually, I don't know if you saw the second grudge movie recently, but if you the two thousand five one i don't know the sequel to the 2004 grudge they actually go into that and it discusses how kayako the main ghost uh how her mom was like a, a exorcist essentially how she fed her demon souls i guess i don't know it was a little it's very confusing but <clears throat> it actually kind of touches on how kayako is like the grudge is radioactive totally because she is like haunting her mom now and she ends up killing her mom in that movie and then uh at the very end of that the second movie there audrey or aubrey i can't remember the karen's sister she becomes the grudge spirit that's haunting other people in that same movie so it, it does actually kind of talk about how like how that kind of pain and stuff like that can be transferred between people um in in the american one. it just takes they take two movies to show what the uh what juan did in one movie <laughs> yeah and it's it has this like weird like aside from the sociological it's it's also like epidemiological mm, or it kind of yeah. spreads like the disease and how it just gets to people these lonely people and you're very helpless to stop it you don't know what you're fighting wow it sounds like something we had earlier and we, <laughs> and we barely bothered to deal with it but that might just be a coincidence and anyways um so peter One, really really quick before we move on i actually did want to i did want to point out um again spoilers for a movie that's like 
20 years old at this point. Um, the end of Juwan has my favorite reveal because uh, these all these other movies, they bring into question, they're like, well, okay, so, you know, whenever you see other people in the house, like the other cops in the house, you're just constantly thinking, okay, so, like, are all of these people going to get haunted now, too? Like, are they all going to die? That's insane. Isn't the... Uh, the realtor who sells the house to these people going to die, you know, blah, blah, blah. You like that, that thought process is constantly in your head, but because you don't see them, you don't really, that you don't internalize that really. I don't think, or at least it feels like there's something wrong with it, but the end of Juan has this awesome reveal where after the main character Rika is killed, it just like flashes forward and you just see empty streets in Japan. Right, they just have all these shots of empty streets and just missing posters on like the boards and stuff like that. So the the implication is that this grudge has literally killed like everybody in this area, you know. And I think that that's such a that's such a like a really interesting way of looking at it, and and like a good culmination of the the points and the scares that are that are being presented in the movie. But it also kind of lends credence to that that idea of it being like almost epidemiological where it's being transferred to all these different people who are now becoming ghosts themselves who are now killing other people you know yeah it's like what if those people who had the grudge died in a grip of rage it's just it's a mess you can't fight this you gotta burn down ah jesus but like it does you're, you're totally right it does feel like it's like the only way to be able to to deal with it is just to burn it all down get rid of it all right, so now uh, Peter, he's apparently selling the Landers house after the, you know... But wait, no, that's not true. No, they're not dead. No, they're no, not no. Dead they're yet. not dead yet. Well, they're not supposed to be dead. Or how the... Oh, it's so fucking weird. Anyways, so <laughs> he goes to like, oh, I'm trying to... Hey, I need to need you to sign some stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is where he like finds um, the little girl. Melinda. Oh. No, no, he doesn't. He... Um, yeah, she's outside. Oh, yeah, he knocks on the door, and then uh, she's outside the house. She just it appears outside the house, and he's like, oh, this is totally normal. You didn't even open the door, but you're just there. That's the, totally exactly how that happens with three old people. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You're thinking of another scene. Am I? Yeah, in this scene, he just opens the house. He calls into the house, and, like, nothing happens except for, like, like a very grudge thing where it's just, like, the ghost pops out of the tub just a look, just to be scary. And he goes back in the car is, and he leaves to eat dinner at home. Happens? Yeah. What? <laughs> You're thinking of a different oh. scene. Oh, man. Okay. Whoops. My bad. <laughs> yeah, and it's like... And there's just supposed to be like a heartfelt moment, which kind of falls a little short for me, to be honest. Like, I can, like, like conceptually speaking, I'm not a monster. Like, it is sad, and it's or kind of... There's a struggle going on. Well, but it's not working it's, for me. It's not. Um, it's not effective. Think of the worst movie you can imagine, and then just realize that in those movies, there are similar scenes to other movies, but they're just done way better and way more believably and way more interestingly. And that's what's happening with this movie. It's just not. It's not executing the story beats properly in my opinion yeah yeah after after the the dinner scene we get the iconic 
grudge shot, you know, he's like taking a shower, you know, John Cho in a shower, ooh. And then like the hand appears in his hand, hair while he's taking a shower. And he's like, oh, I feel fingers on the back of my head. They don't belong there. And mm-hmm. it's, I feel like that's the worst possible way to show it. Because in the, in 2004, in Juwan, it's all done after, like later on, further into the movie. Right. Where, right. where it's where it shows that like it followed her, it, it's lingering, it stayed, it's not just it's contained in the house. house. It's like covered. Right. It's like oh, okay. Um, you kind of it kind of defeated how. Well, I mean, it's it, 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 it goes back to that efficiency of storytelling, right? In the over efficiency of storytelling, where it's just it happens, you know, like right now, everything happens right now. And it's like they're not taking their time with it, not letting anything simmer. Yeah, and and they're also pulling other like other horror movie tropes, like like uh, Peter and Nina, they're they're in bed and like the bed sheets are being pulled off, not in a sexy way, but like there's a ghost at the end of your bed, and it's pulling it off. And when a little, he investigates, a bit of paranormal activity. Yeah, there's like a ghost. And it's like ah, it's it's scary. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's it's. It's That's all it. very, um, really the biggest issue that I have with the whole movie is that the scares are of a low quality. They don't happen very often. And I'm not asking for jump scares. Far from it. I actually kind of hate jump scares. But there's there's this absolute failure to show scary things happening in an interesting way, you know? And and like you said, it's just like they, they refuse to take their time. <laughs> And uh, after that night, Mr. Spencer here, he decides to go back to the house again. And this is where where you mentioned, like, he turns away from the door. The door is clearly closed to talk to, like, some curlers lady who's probably picking up her morning paper. And that's when, like, Melinda appears and her hair right. is, like, all drenched and wet. And that's the thing I want to, like, also bring up. It's, like, it's clearly creepy. This movie's trying too hard. Because in, in, in the 2004 Juwan, there's... um. Mm-hmm. There's an understated horror to it. You look at this kid, and he's like all battered, and he's got bandages on him, and he's like, mm-hmm. it's clearly this kid's either been like, like uh, fighting with the stairs, or he's been <laughs> he's being abused, clearly. Right. And it's like the horror is like, oh, it's this kid's in a abusive household, and then it gets creepier when it's like, oh no, it's not just that. That unsettling feeling is like. This kid is a ghost, and he's meowing like a cat. <laughs> not not in like a that's, that's, not in like a oh I'm pretending to be a cat. It's like straight up open his mouth. It's like a cat's been living inside of him, and it's like meowing. Yeah, and like the like the cat is yeah. yeah. Well, and if you even like it's 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 actually funnier because it's, it's even more than that too in a way because it gives it adds like a sort of like a sociological like another you know we keep saying the word sociological but it adds another sociological level to it as well where it's showing like toshio is the is the boy's name he is demonstrating abuse right like demonstrating that this is an abusive household because he's all bandaged up and bruised up and stuff like that before anybody else like like that's that's how he died right he didn't die from getting beat up he died from drowning but he that was the state he was in before he died right so I just think that that's also like it's an it's an additional level of storytelling that we're shown and not told, which is something this movie 
fails to do miserably. <laughs> it is all tell all the time. So yeah, the uh, the the scene with Peter ends uh, when the little girl starts like puking blood, and yeah, oh creepy. And now we jump back to Muldoon. She's researching all these like murders. She's even watching this like crappy video which from 2004 Fiona Landers who's like at this like subway platform thing and for some reason but like the top of her head like just the top of it is like cut off like straight line cut off <laughs> and it's it, it looks like she's kind of all green screened in it may just oh, be that, it may just be that one shot because of a glitch Why? okay again it's so funny you're mentioning that this and and again I'll reiterate I just rewatched this movie. I don't remember that scene. <laughs> this is this is uh, this is a little weird. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and then um, and afterwards Muldoon gets drowned by a ghost for a second, it's, and it's yeah. I don't even have anything yeah. to say about that. That's, that's it. just it's like that's like what 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 keeps happening. I said I don't have anything to say, and now I have something to say. What keeps happening with this 2020 movie is it keeps bringing up things that happened in the previous movies in the series, but, like, just doing them badly. You know, things like, oh, you watch the tape with, like, a watch a security camera where something creepy happens. It's like, yeah, that happened in the first Grudge movie. Happened in Juon. 2004 and the grudge 2 the sequel to the 2004 movie happened in all three of those and yet it's like misused here again yeah and uh what else okay yeah and and that's also the thing too like the grudge ghosts they never physically attack you not really they 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 like menacingly approach you and that's like scary enough and it it doesn't Mm. come off as goofy either it's it's like just a real fear like it just like struck your soul and you're paralyzed and you're unable to move as it keeps doing that grudge noise as it the death rattle. yeah that that death rattle and then you get frightened to death it doesn't like actively like ah i'm going to drown you or well there's actually like, a your scene bed sheets in like Juan, a dickhead um, that that kind of exemplifies that uh, rika again the main character she's she's at home and i think she's she's like exhausted because she just saw Toshio under a table when she went out to dinner with a friend and she's like laying in bed and she looks over and Toshio's like beside her bed just like and then she looks up and and Kayako's just standing over just like menacingly looking at her and it's like okay scary like fucking frightening could you imagine that (laughs) you know again sadly because of the budgetary restrictions the effects are kind of trash and the makeup kind of sucks but the scene itself if you take away that you know like accounting for that there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's happening there um about the effects i think it's it's okay like it works in this like very uncanny feeling like just something just not right when kayako uh frightens the old lady and she's just like this black serpent with long hair and, and then, like, she opens her eyes, and it's, like, really realistic. And it's, like, it's very unnerving. And if I saw that in real life, it, it'd be, like... Well, it is definitely uh, unnerving. I mean, I'm not gonna... Time. I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna disagree with that, because it is absolutely unnerving. However, it's not... It's not good. <laughs> they do... Uh, like, they repeat that same sort of shot in uh, in The Grudge 2004, 
it's also not good in that one. But, like, I mean, if we're going to, you know, if, if you don't mind me taking a minute to kind of pivot away from the 2021 uh, real quick here, the 2021, um, there is a lot of really simple mistakes made in the in the in Juwan when it comes to things like cinematography to, to filmmaking, to lighting, like there's so many mistakes that could have been avoided and were avoided in the 2004 American remake. And, you know, the, the problem might be money, but I just personally think the problem is amateurism in the, on, on behalf of the director and on behalf of the people behind the camera in general. You know, I'm not going to say that I can do any better, but I just think that it's, you know, that's a that's a fair thing to say when you see the sequels in the same series doing it that much better. Like, there is actually a scene, um, I want to say, when Rika first gets into Toshio's room, the room with the, with the sliding door that's been taped shut, where you're supposed to get the idea that the room has been trashed but like it does so in three super close-up shots of like unintelligible images like you just see like a super close-up and like i'm trying to think it's probably like the bed is all like fucked up and then i think it's like a wall and then there's like the the closet but when katie and i were watching it together we both said to each other we're like what was that like <laughs> what did i just see <laughs> it was uh it was pretty um hard to tell and i think that that's just like emblematic of something that kept happening <laughs> a, a montage of three very quick quick cuts one after another uh, <laughs> uh yeah i don't know that was that was definitely a problem i think i i, I wanted to make sure that i said that though because i want people to understand that even though, I mean, I'll speak for myself, even though I'm a huge fan of Juwan and the 2004 movie within reason, there's things wrong with those movies. But the thing is, is they are leaps and bounds better than the 2020 movie with which we are able to cover half hour of in an hour and 15 minutes. Let's just bear that in mind. All right, so moving on now. So this is a scene yeah. where we jump to 2005, where this like uh, assisted suicide lady comes in in order to help this couple, which we right. see with Muldoon, where it's like the the guy, the husband, is like, oh my wife, I want you to, William is like, I want you to kill my wife, please, because she's just not <laughs> doing good anymore. Right. And. Throw her away and, so and you can get a new model. And one of the conditions for this assisted it. suicide is that she's mentally competent to do it herself. But where she's like doing this like peekaboo right. with this like ghost, and it's meant to be eerie and creepy, but it kind of you know falls flat again. And here's the one plot hole that I want to bring up, which may or may not okay. actually be a plot hole, since you have like the Wikipedia with like the chronological timeline, and it's right. like okay, so we see Peter Spencer. The realtor, yeah. he sets up the place to sell. But then yeah. he dies. So either somebody else stepped in to like sell the house to like the Mathesons, or they just straight up moved right. into the house and they're just a bunch of squatters. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say is one of either th- it was one of like three things. So when Peter 
was what Peter was trying to do with the landers was get the paperwork signed, right? So he was trying to get the paperwork signed. So that means that the the deal had already gone through essentially oh, okay. at that point. But and I mean, presumably the people that they bought it from was Lauren or who bought it was Faith and and William. But you're totally right. Like, did they just buy the house and, oh, whoops, our realtor also went insane and murdered his wife? I mean, that is what happened, yeah. right? He murdered his wife. Yeah, and, like, did remember. the ghost sign the paperwork? Yeah, he like, killed Like, what's them. going yeah. on? <laughs> it's like, before I scare the crap <laughs> out of you, real. let me sign this paperwork. Uh, oh, wait, sorry, there's a few more signatures? Oh. Okay. Okay, go. File it away and then die, okay? Is that cool? Okay, actually, that's a really good point. Who the fuck signed this? In? Who signed it? Sorry, I totally wasn't. I didn't put that together. That's actually a super good point. Who the fuck signed the paperwork to let Faith and William move in? Yeah, that's really weird, right? Like, that's okay. So that's what the issue is. That's one of the issues with this movie. It's because it didn't want to take its time. So, like, okay, in the original, in in Juwan and in in The Grudge 2004, the the original murders happened like five years ago right five years before and everybody who's associated with that died right you know all the people that were investigating it blah 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 everybody who was associated with the original time they're all dead this house sits on the market for a while probably getting bought up and and people in it dying mysteriously and then we skip forward five years where nobody who would know anybody else who had died from it moves in and, you know, whatever. Like, that makes more sense. But because they wanted creepy old lady to, to you know, like, they wanted, it was like they wanted their cake and to eat it, too, which is a stupid saying. But still, the point stands. They wanted everything. They wanted the best of both worlds. So what they did is they just time crunched everything so that it all happens within like a year and a half, give or take, right? Like it all happens over the course of, yeah, from 2004 to 2006. But it's just so silly because, yeah, the moments like that happen where Peter's getting paperwork signed by a fucking ghost and then Peter's ghost sells it to these other people <laughs> because that's like, like that, that's the only thing that makes any sense is that's who, you know, who ended up buying it. It's just... <sighs> very um very stupid in general <laughs> now we move on to like um william's like hey so suicide lady uh lorna you're okay to stay at our place and then she's trying to be courteous and so she goes out to buy groceries and at the market just weird juju happens mm -hmm. she looks at meat and there's flies on the meat and then the oh, little girl holds her hand out. and blood comes out and she just gets freaked out Right. And when she drives, oh, like back to like the Matheson house, or you know Rayburn Drive, mm -hmm. there's a, just like it's this goofy scene of like the ghost in the back of the car. It's right. like 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 Lorna's like her Uber driver or something. It's like okay, take me back to Rayburn, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like she like carpooled there to like get some groceries as well. It's like I need some ghost steak and ghost wine. I'm gonna make something special for my husband. You know, she's working so hard, scaring all these people. You know what I mean? <laughs> I will, I will say, though, um, that actually that's probably the most effective scare in the whole movie. Uh, not necessarily scare, but like, that's the most effective um, series of scenes uh, is when, because it's original, right? Like, that doesn't happen in any of the other movies. 
where we see someone just like kind of out and about at like a grocery store and like they're obviously being affected by the ghost. Like, I mean, you do kind of like, <laughs> yeah, like there's sort of similar ish scenes in the other movies, but nothing like that. Okay. I actually personally kind of like it because it's different. It's new and it makes sense. You know, it's not just rehashing of something that doesn't make any sense now. And, and really at the end of the day, it, it just, it, it's not, it's not nearly as bad as it could be. However, the idea of her being a ghost Uber driver is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of a uh, grocery ghost scene, there actually is a scene in the American remake <laughs> when Jen, <laughs> when Jen goes to like the Japanese grocery store, <laughs> which she's clearly possessed because she like oh. picks up this obvious bowl of ramen, oh like this instant ramen. Yeah. And then she isn't sure what the hell it is. <laughs> so she fingers it open <laughs> and she smells the contents. <laughs> 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 sorry that scene is the dumbest shit like it's so like okay so I've, I've i've made this point many times but pro tip for anybody who wants to travel to a place that has language different from your own if you're going to a grocery store go to the produce section look at the vegetables they're the same vegetables look at the meat it's probably the same meat just go to the not like fast food set like why the fuck are you buying ramen anyways lady you're trying to feed your you're trying to feed your like dementia ridden mother that's not good food for her <laughs> what are you doing like that that whole scene is just wrong on so many levels and it, and it's just oh god like i i you know i know americans are like ha yeah, ha like... dumb but like that's embarrassing. It's really. like she was never um, ever a college student. But yeah, my... and she's never had like a bowl of ramen <laughs> while she's pulling an all nighter. Like I get it's like written with Japanese, but Jesus Christ, right. take some context clues. Like rattle the container around. It's like ah, oh, this yeah. is either cereal or ramen. I'm pretty sure it's. And, ramen. and I mean, even more so than that, it's like also okay. Let's 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 decide what flavor it is. You know those ramens usually have like oh, a little, okay. like a little guy on it that looks like meat. Or like chicken or something, but but here's the other thing: they're all fine. They all taste good. Just get whatever one you want. <laughs> Avoid any ones that look like you know, like they have skulls on them or something like that, because those are probably you know really really spicy or something. But other than that, they all work. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. So uh, so our our uh, our Lorna, our suicide lady, comes back with the groceries, and we see uh, Detective Wilson just. <laughs> menacingly staring into the house and and Lorna's like Just chilling outside who the hell is that guy outside what is he why is he doing there <laughs> is this like a protest and so she asks the Mathesons and they're like uh something I don't remember and then she's like oh there wasn't like a murder in here where was there like jokingly hmm. and it's like yeah, yeah there was a murder I don't actually <laughs> it's really fucking sad you insensitive bit <laughs> Well, I mean, one thing, one thing to also mention with that, though, I think like that. Oh no, no, no! Never mind. Never mind. I was, no, never mind. I was gonna say, oh, that doesn't really work because he shoots himself after that. Sorry. So, anyways, uh, Goodman comes to pick up Detective Wilson, and and this is where it's like uh, Goodman's like, oh, you you gotta you gotta go back home, man. You gotta think of your family, your your daughters, and then Detective Wilson shoots himself in the face, and it's like, <laughs> ah, <laughs> no. Yeah, he missed that close range. I he gotta like now. Range. Now I have to put in a content warning for this episode. Yeah. Uh yeah. So yeah, that happens. <laughs> it's oh my god. So I'm looking at like the um the X-ray 
for this movie. And uh, Frank the dog, the dog, mm-hmm. Muldoon's dog is Frank the dog. And in real life, he's called Bruno the dog. Right. Don't get mistaken with Bruno like the cat <laughs> or Bruno the mouse. It's Bruno the dog. Okay. He's a good dog and actor, okay? There's a scene where Muldoon is just uh, looking at some files. And the dog's clearly licking her foot. And then um, and then at the very end, she's like, Hey, Frank, stop licking my foot. And then she looks at the doorway and that the dog wasn't in the living room. Mm. So the implication is that the ghost licked her foot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so is it worse if it's the husband, the wife, or the daughter? Who's the who's the worst? Like that's no matter no matter who there's it is problem. that has the foot fetish, there's a problem there. Um, my God, that was that is, so dumb. That is actually I such lost a good H- point I actively lost HP. Oh yeah, I am in critical uh, condition. It's a little bit foot fetish. I mean, honestly, it's like like that's the okay, case. So my my biggest problem with this movie and i said it at the beginning and i'll say it again is it treats you like you don't have a brain right so it's the that scene though with the uh also it only makes sense if you don't think about it right it only works if you don't consider which of the ghosts is licking muldoon's foot <laughs> So anyways, after that foot debacle, uh, Muldoon goes to visit Detective Wilson, and we find out that A, well, Mm. I already told you she goes to visit, so he survived his uh, uh, suicide attempt, and he's all mangled, and he's like, oh, he's spouting some crazy nonsense, And, and he's like, oh, maybe I should, like, pluck out my eyes so I don't see her, and then directly after that, we see him, like, in a stretcher, having plucked out his eyes as he's, like, so, uh, carry it so away. A, little, a little bit of storytelling just... 101 here, guys. It's not foreshadowing if it happens 0.5 seconds right before. That doesn't work. Uh, what I would suggest instead is to have him talk about how she's in your head if you can see her and blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever it is, whatever point they're trying to make, because that point is not really made anywhere else in the Grudge movies, and have him just do it. Don't talk about it just do it you know or like it's it's fine if Muldoon leaves and 0.5 seconds later we see him with his eyes gouged out that's actually pretty creepy but because he says I'm gonna pluck out, pluck out my eyes that makes it dumb it instantly ruins what could have been kind of cool kind of interesting and makes it dumb but I will also actually point out uh one more thing and this is sort of a problem with all the movies but it's especially bad with this movie how long does it take for Kayako slash Fiona slash whatever her husband's name, Sam? How long does it take for these ghosts to fucking kill somebody? What What's the timeline here? Do they have... Katie, my wife, Katie, made a, made a joke where she said <laughs> that, that it's because they have, like, a list that they have to get through. You know, it's like a, a chronological list. So they only kill you when it's your time. And, and she was saying, well, you know, maybe it took Kayako such a long time to kill Fiona because she had to, like, fucking catch a flight. Maybe the ghost Uber, <laughs> the ghost Uber came in and, and gave her a ride over to the U.S. Because that's the only explanation for how the hell, one, Fiona survived so long. And then two, how is Wilson still alive? That dude, and he's not even dead by the end of the movie. He just gouged his eyes out. That is not a, that's not deadly. <laughs> I mean, it is if you just do it in the middle of nowhere. But he, he's alive for four years. Because he's Wilson is investigating in two thousand sorry, three years. Wilson's investigating in two thousand four. 
uh, the murder of the Landers. He's still alive in 2005 when Lorna comes by, and he's still alive when Muldoon's there in 2006. So for three years, this dude is being haunted. Uh, Speaking about Kaiko, you know, probably... Probably after that, like, probably 12-plus-hour flight, she's like, ah, oh, I feel a little jet-lagged. Let me, let me rest for a bit. You do your creepy family stuff, and then once I'm ready, I'll, I'll kill you I'll all. Just... Okay, is that good? <laughs> or better yet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, or, what, that's what she's looking, that's what Fiona's looking at when she first comes home. It's Kayako just, like, splayed out on the couch, just chilling, just like, oh, you know, you just, you hang, man. I'll, I'll get to you soon. No, no, I got one better. Maybe Kayako, it's, like, a reverse like 2004 where she takes the plate of Jen in America she's like a Japanese person and is foreign American oh land. <laughs> she's, like, she's like in a McDonald's oh and she gets a Big Mac she's like what is this and she puts, <laughs> it. puts a hole for the Big, Big Mac box and takes a sniff how does food work <laughs> she's like oh man I don't know how that lived here exactly. I might as well go back to Raper and I did you also notice that there's like no Asian oh, people in this new movie other than John Cho? Oh, there's one more. There's like the nurse. Who? The, okay, so when they're at the clinic to check for the bebe, uh, there's an Asian nurse. Really? I, I. Which you probably wouldn't know unless you had the x-ray on What's in it? while What's you're watching this movie. It basically shows like uh, the INDB, like the, who's the cast. Really? And like some trivia, general trivia. Huh. Did and did the did the did the X-ray say that? Oh, this is the only other Asian person in this movie based on Asian Asian pro- property. Is that what it said? <laughs> oh no, no. I I actively in order to like keep track of who's yeah. who. I always have it oh, on, that's and that's something I gleamed off. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's like a little fucked up, I guess. I mean, you know, in the two thousand four movie, like everybody is somehow white as well. Like other than like there's no there's like a shockingly low amount of Asian people in the movie set in Japan. <clears throat> um, no, no, actually, that kind of makes sense because it's like um, okay, think yeah. about it. If you're a foreigner, you speak only English. Wouldn't it make sense to look for people who also speak That's English? That's true. But my, my big issue is Ted Raimi's character who plays the um, I don't remember what his name is. He's the he's the that's fine. He's the guy that gets killed by uh, Kyoko, or I want to say Kyoko. He's the guy that is like uh, Karen's boss as like a helper. Uh, that guy. His name is Hirohashi. No, it's Ted Raimi's character. That's Ted Raimi's character. He's a white guy. No, no, no. I, I'm I'm saying in the, like, the Japanese. Oh, in movie, Juan. Yeah, well, that's... in Juan, yeah, they're all they're all Japanese. But for some reason, this guy who's running a like a University of Tokyo outreach center thing. Mm-hmm is this white guy who does not well you don't know he's running the place he's just he happens to work there he's like the supervisor or whatever all right before we go and say i gotta move on so uh Muldoon, after uh wilson gouges his eyes out uh she decides to listen to his tape and then we go back to a flashback of wilson spouting crazy stuff like oh the, the murders it's connected i i talked to some guy in japan his name was a detective uh uh, uh, there are so many characters in Juan, I couldn't keep track of them there all. So I just put the old detective. True. <laughs> yeah. The old detective. His young, handsome, twink boyfriend detective. That's beside Dude. Sorry. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> when he walked up and he talked to Izumi's father, I, the first word out of my mouth to my wife was, wow, what is, why is there just this random J-drama guy here? He's so handsome. Like, what the fuck? Where do you come from? And she's like, that's the de- that's the other detective. I was like, what? 
no, it's not. That guy's way too handsome. He, like, I was like, I do not remember him at all. <laughs> so yeah, basically, he links uh, Detective Wilson links back to like the 2004 grudge. Right. And how like all that stuff happened and went ho down. Which and uh wow, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it's weirdly confusing. Anyways, so yeah, we're still in the flashback with Detective Wilson, and Goodman comes down to check on his buddy. He's like, oh man, let's go to this diner, and um talks about how he's just going gradually nuts. And then when they're in Goodman's car, Wilson sees like the uh, gets jump scared by by Fiona. By Grudge Fiona, and that's the end of the recording. But didn't or, we see him kill himself or try to kill himself before that? Oh no, no, this is like the, oh, like before he decides to uh, do that. Oh, okay. Again, this movie is that confusing that I saw it two days ago and I cannot remember the order of when anything happens. <laughs> so Detective Muldoon's obviously shaken, goes to the washroom and goes back to like the um. Or she's about to go back to listen to more stuff when she notices someone like walking behind her. And he's like, hey, I don't remember anyone else down here. So she goes to like the CCTV footage and she finds out that after she went out the washroom, like a ghost or some other dude came out. It was Sam. So I. Because she could yeah, see him. Right? Uh, is it Sam? Sam is his name, yeah. Fiona's husband, oh. Sam. Yeah. Uh, Sam like came out and so she goes out to investigate and it's like this. Okay, there's this weird scene where she goes into this evidence room, and for some reason, there's like a pile of dummies just laying around. Like, one of them's like, <laughs> looks like it's been skinned. Another is like held up by like this black duct tape. Right. And the rest are either like, like this weird yellow hue, or it looks like they've been put in like an incinerator. Oh, okay. No, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. The weird yellow hue is the piss colored color grading that had been done on the entire movie. The entire movie looked like piss. It was really, really fucking weird. And it made Muldoon... Sorry, again, I didn't even put this... I didn't even say this right off the hop, and I really should have. Muldoon looked like she had jaundice the entire movie. She She's the <laughs> yellowest person I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and, like... It's just a Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. She looked like she was a Simpsons character. And, like, her hair is, like... She has a tragic haircut. Like, that is like the worst haircut i've ever seen and she looks like she has jaundice honestly muldoon looks like a mess is what she looks like but um you're, you're just rude i'm fine with that i'll take that the girl looks like a mess they did her dirty really at the end of the day it's like the entire movie looked like shit as well they had no clue what they were yeah. doing behind the camera I, I think what they were going for is this like sickly hue and uh they they did do that i'll, I'll give this movie that the agreed upon color for sickly hue is green when it comes to 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 um color grading natural light is on a spectrum between yellow and blue okay green does not exist in natural light uh as far as like how we perceive it right so like i'm sitting in a room right now that has an incandescent bulb above me it's yellow right i look out the window it's white light right so it's like a white light is obviously sunlight is a mix of all the colors of the rainbow but i perceive it as white or blue like a really pale blue so when you want to make something look unnatural and scary and creepy and kind of gross 
you go with green. Like even uh, for instance, Jake, you'll 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 know this. Uh, the cover of my book when uh, when we were doing when we were deciding between the two different colors, uh, the color schemes from the artist. He had a yellow color scheme that kind of was like a looked like a sunset sort of color scheme, and there was a green color scheme. And we ended up going with the green because the green gives you this visceral kind of like feel. Yellow, on the other hand, doesn't necessarily give you that feel unless it looks like piss but then that's not oh it looks gross and kind of sickly it's it looks like piss on the camera not like it's supposed to not sickly come on guys <laughs> and this is like and this isn't like oh you know taylor campbell exclusive this is how to make films look good this is just natural that is that that is well-known industry kind of stuff so anyways sorry continue <laughs> all right so yeah um she basically pulls out her gun she's just really spooked and she nearly shoots one of the detectives detectives greco is like whoa what the hell lady and so uh, muldoon tries to like uh show him the footage right but it doesn't appear which is something that always did appear in um juan and 2004 true you, like the detective you see the the have the really good scene where she walked up to the camera and she was all like she's a black shadow and then she opened her eyes and that was all you could camera yeah but there's one thing that might account for this oh is that um all those characters who did watch it were also hmm i don't know because i was about to say that like they went into the house yeah so it's already grafted on her but we know for a fact uh, izumi's dad uh Toyama, or that's yeah. at least that's how he was referred to by his last name. Okay. I don't think he ever went inside, or I I don't know. I think you're right. I think you're right because he and this is in Juwan. Just for anybody who wants to keep track, in Juwan, he is the 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 officer whose friends died. He had been it, it had been five years since he had since the the investigation into the Seki house happened. So he had never went in, but he did see it, and then that's what spurred him to go and burn it down. And then that's when he saw his daughter in the future. He was connect, they were connected through the house. His daughter saw him as a ghost, essentially. Yeah. So um... good point. Good point, but. It's it's kind of like a fifty fifty because in the Ameri- in the two thousand four one it is just people who've been inside the house that see that. See now, I think this is where there's like the um, there's like this missed opportunity in this remake okay. or the twenty two thousand twenty movie. Yeah, is that um and all those in two thousand four Juwan, There's always like this weird theme in Juwan, It's about the the loneliness, how everyone's becoming isolated in mm-hmm. the city. And we're all alone, even though we're crammed to the gills with people around us. And they also showed us intergenerational trauma of how, like, um, after Toyama, like, disappeared and died, or one of those, it also affects his daughter, Izumi, in the same way, where Mm -hmm. it's like, she can't quite get along with her friends. Like, something's just, like, wrong. It's like something she feels wrong. Or, you know, she just doesn't feel right. And it's like, this is kind of, like, idea, like, of mental illness there as well. Or at Mm -hmm. least that's how you could, like, see it as. And in um, the American one, it doesn't, uh, 2004, it doesn't have that as much. Right. But it does have the idea of, like, you're alone in this foreign land. You feel helpless. Mm -hmm. And in this one, A... You're never alone because like after like all the scares or something, there's always somebody else around to come and be like, hey, you OK, buddy? Did you did you get did you get spooked? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like there's 
one thing this could have brought in is you could have talked about how like um what it's like to be a single parent mm. what it's like to deal with someone with dementia what it's like to deal with disability and that could have all been there and there, it was all like nested in there as well but it all gets cheapened with all these like oh i'm pulling at your bed sheets oh i'm i'm licking your foot because i'm a good doggy or whatever and... <laughs> okay now i'm just imagining sam this big dude <laughs> Just like on his hands and knees, just licking her foot, be like, "I'm a good doggy, <laughs> rough, rough." <laughs> yeah, and they they completely drop it. it the, there, the there's like something doesn't I, compliment it. Yeah, exactly, and it's like there isn't like that isolating like like uh people with depression, and I mm. maybe I'm not like the primary one to say this, but there is like this isolating feeling Absolutely. that you're the odd person out. You can't feel right with people. Mm-hmm. And that could also be applied with like single parenthood, person with dementia, a disability. Mm-hmm. It doesn't that doesn't come in. And there's also this like um in Juwan in two thousand four, just the idea of like ghost in the machine, how like the, the death rattle comes out of the phone, the CCTV is all screwy. Mm-hmm. And in Juwan, like when the um, damn it, uh the sister Uh Hitomi. Yeah, Hitomi is like in general, there's this missed opportunity with this grudge thing, twenty twenty. So yeah, uh, we move on from that scene. She decides to bring her son to a work day because I assume she's just worried about the ghost or something. I It never really goes into it, but yeah, that's about as close as we can get to something that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and Detective Goodman decides to show this kid like um 48 hours or something. I I'm think not so, yeah. sure. Some Some random cop movie. Yeah, it's either that or The French Connection. Which is a great movie. <laughs> and then we cut back to Muldoon back at her house having a ciggy even though she quit and ghost stuff happens like Fiona Landers appears at a window but but Muldoon never notices and I thought that right was Sam she... <laughs> why do these ghosts look the same I don't remember what Fiona looks like <laughs> yeah and uh then we cut back to um that scene was pretty much pointless because yeah. then we immediately cut back to um uh, John Spencer with like the Melinda ghost and he's having Peter a Spencer, chat with his wife. What? Peter Spencer. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Peter Peter Spencer is like John Cho. Oh, okay. So you said John Spencer. I was like, who are we oh. talking about? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like having this heartfelt moment with his uh with his wife. I don't know. He, he goes outside for a second and then he goes upstairs for some reason. That was at his house, right? Or was that at the scary house? Oh, yeah. No, sorry. At Rayburn Drive. Right. Yeah, I think he could hear the the kid drowning, I think, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, because the tub is all black. Right, as you do. And he, like, he goes in. He's like, oh, something's in here. I gotta duck my head in. Maybe give it, like, a sip of the water to see what's like. <laughs> and then ghost hands pop up and, like, grab him. He's like, ah, Jesus. And he he rushes out of the house, and then the Belinda ghost pops up like, oh, yeah, I'm done bathing. Yeah, it's like such a such a really really odd way. It, you know what it feels like. So in the American 2004 movie, there's also a scene where a realtor sticks his hand in a tub of black liquid and feels around. I guess in the in the Japanese one, he's trying to unplug it because he's trying to show the house, and in this one, he's looking for someone maybe <laughs> but the the point is it's like it, it's just another moment where it's it feels like it feels like the director of the 2020 grudge movie not some fan-made movie did about as much research 
into the previous movies as we did for this <laughs> podcast. That's what it feels like. It feels like he did kind of a little bit more than the bare minimum of just rewatching the movies. And then he went, okay, so now how can I just steal everything from these movies and put it into my own? That's what it, that's what it felt like to me, at least, you know? Yeah. And when he rushes down the stairs, he uh, encounters the Fiona ghost and she goes all creepy, you know, and like dislocated jaw. She screams and he's like, oh, screw that. I'm going to hide in a closet. Like that helps. Cause then the like ghost the ghost appears in the closet. And uh, so we find out uh, Peter gets uh, nicely possessed and he has like a knife or no, he has a scissors and then he goes and uh, presumably shanks his wife real good. Well, I mean, he gets the baby out because we see Nina with the baby on the side of the road. Hey, oh, no. Remember, we we were talking when Muldoon was driving down the road and she saw the random lady on the side of the road with the baby. Yeah. Eh, no, I don't know. I'm just making that up. I honestly don't. I not making up the scene. I'm just making up the headcanon of that because that's about as close to uh, an explanation as we can get. Yeah, we also like before that scene ends, we see this shot of like a crib, but we don't know if like he cut it out or you know, or it's just like oh no, baby dead. He killed the baby. Not good. <laughs> Goddamn liberals. But that's not. Oh. <laughs> Oh my god, Jake. <laughs> yeah, okay, so then now we cut to when Faith and Matt were A-OK. No, wait, Faith and... Faith and William. Yeah, William. Oh, Jesus. And um, we see the Lorna, the suicide lady, just cutting up vegetables. And she's having like a hard time sleeping in this house because it's like spoopy as hell and she like sees ghosts. And right. it's revealed that like uh, William's like, I totally know about the ghosts. My plan is to, like, kill my wife so she comes back as a ghost and so I can stay with her. That was basically the haunting of Hill House. I was just thinking that, too. I totally didn't even put that into perspective until you were explaining it. Because, like, it's my impression that that's not how the grudge works at all. It's not like a... No. It's not like a keep the ghosts alive on the property kind of curse. It's a, no, you just die, and if you get killed by this lady, you turn into a vengeful ghost yourself. Yeah, and and there's just like another scene where it's where he's explaining his like admittedly crazy plan to Lor- Lorna, and she's like, "Yes, okay, I shall help you." And there's this like close-up shot of like her holding his hand, and then it cuts to her like bags already packed up, and she's trying to get the hell out. <laughs> right? Like that's like such a comedy scene. What the fuck was that? Right? Like what lady? Like, like that's that's funny. That's not that's not scary in the slightest. That's just funny, which is okay. But I will say that comedy and horror are antithetical to one another. They're on the opposite ends of the the emotional spectrum. That being said, the occasional horror, the occasional comedy in a horror thing is 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 actually welcome. But you just need to remember how not you know like one needs to remember how these things play with each other or play off each other. And like, for instance, again, I'll bring up my own book because you and I both worked on it. There's some comedy scenes in that book, but they're not happening necessarily during the horror scenes, right? When something really horrifying is happening, it's not like the characters are cracking jokes at each other. I'm not trying to, we're not trying to break the tension. That does happen once, but it's more like a, it's not, it's it's a diegetic comedy moment. It's not a narrative comedy moment. So that, uh, the scene of, of Lorna being like, yes, William, I will help you kill your wife. And then just like, 
cuts to her fucking piece in it. That's that's a Kuleshov effect, right? That's a comedy. There, it's funny because it's the opposite of what you expect to happen. However, in other stories, what'll happen is like diegetically, it'll be funny where it's funny in universe because either the character is cracking a joke or like like that's how they deal with you know a stressful moment is to say or think something funny. Like that's acceptable more so than the narrator in this case the editor cutting it and changing it around so that this presumably serious thing is then undercut by something funny happening that's just it can be done it just really shouldn't be done is all (laughs) and it gets better and i think another plot hole kind of pops up here so basically lorna is like ah i'm piecing it out here holmes and then we see um faith uh, lynn shay's character like cutting up vegetables and, and and she goes to like Alorna goes to talk to Faith and says, "Hey, I'm I'm piecing out of here," or or something along those lines. And right. you know, and and it's revealed that she's been like chopping her fingers off, right? Like they were like sausages. And I think this is also <laughs> where we find out um, William's dead. William, maybe? yeah. So she stabbed William. Yeah. So she stabbed William first, then chopped her own fingers off, then Lorna left. But yeah, I'm assuming this is what you're gonna mention. But then does that mean that? Lin Shay was standing there with her bloody ass stumps for months yes. as William and Lorna are freaking rotting somewhere. Because they said, oh my god. Exactly. The cops even say that, oh, this road hasn't been used since the fall. That's why it took so long to find her. So that means that Lorna, or sorry, Faith has been sitting there, standing there, <laughs> chopping her fingers off for fucking six months probably like yeah i mean i guess i don't know how long winter is in pennsylvania no that's a plot hole that's not just a plot hole that's a dumb hole (laughs) like what the hell like dude it's been months and she didn't do anything with her wounds so she should have been gangrenous lady should have died in like a week but no somehow she's like got the world's most robust immune system and she's still alive somehow and not like just putrefied she's not she's not an ancient well not ancient that's rude to lin shay but she's not an elderly dementia patient who had just chopped her fucking fingers off no does she not feed herself like okay so in the grudge movies jennifer and matt dying yoko dying and then karen showing up and uh kayako killing um emma that is like one day like jennifer and matt died day one Yoko dies day two, Karen shows up day three. Like, those are those happen all within a day of each other, right? And it makes sense. This happens months apart. Again, it's just like, this is what happens when you write a movie on a script, like, when you write a script or a story based on something else, but you don't really understand the other thing, again, because you watched the movie, like, twice in the last couple of weeks before you started writing it. And then you just go, oh, okay, well, nobody's going to pay attention anyway, so I can just write whatever the fuck I want. Like, they don't even try. <laughs> Come on. Man, it gets it gets also better, too. Because um, oh, no. at one point, uh, so L- Lorna's, like, um, doing her escape. She's even uh, running stop signs, which is illegal. And uh, while and she's driving, she gets, like, yeah, she gets scared by uh sam landers in the back of her seat like she just presumably forgot that she had like a passenger she's a terrible uber driver and she veers off the road and that's how she like gets uh, stuck in the woods 
and she's basically mm-hmm. that corpse. Right. Then that brings us back to the past of like how she ended up there. And we even have like the scene of like Muldoon and Goodman back there just to like drive home that yes, that right. is her corpse. Why did they do that? I totally forgot about that little scene, but why the fuck would you do that, guys? We know. There's only been one other person who died in... No, there was nobody else who died in a car. We know that that's her... Okay, sorry. That's so stupid. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, one thing is like, in writing and in film, there's always... Sh- there, you can also show as well instead of tell. So they perfectly showed sure. us that, but then they went ahead to tell us just in case we weren't entirely sure. I mean, that's, that's the efficiency argument or the over-efficiency argument in this is instead of allowing us to learn things through character dialogue or character action they have to get greco to tell us everything (laughs) instead of us just understanding like it's simple as this the the state of being a single parent is not the it's not i'm not gonna say not like the normal state but like it's not the expected state right people expect when they see a child and their parent that there is another parent somewhere, right? When we're introduced to Muldoon and Burke, the assumption is, okay, so she's a single parent, right? We, we, we understand that. So then that kind of leaves you with three options. Either her husband or, or whoever is dead, or he's not there, or they're divorced, right? So you get those options. It's like each of those three options are perfectly acceptable for Muldoon's character, right? It just like let's let's do a little headcanon here. Let's just say instead of dying from cancer, that's just a story she told Burke, her husband actually left her, right? What does that change in the story? Nothing, right? It changes absolutely nothing as far as how the story is told. So that means, in my opinion, that it's not important, right? It's not important to be differentiated. That being said, we can very easily have her or have the fact that he died from cancer be shown to us. Like, you know what a lot of movies do? They show you a picture of the person bald because they're going through chemotherapy, right? Mm. Easy as that. You just show us Muldoon, you show us Burke, and you show us bald guy. Done. There you go. You just explained to us that he had that that her husband had cancer and now he's not there. But instead, they had to have Greco go. Her husband died three months ago and she moved here. And I know all of this because I'm the author insert because that's how these kind of things work, right? You can't ever show anything. You always have to just tell us. Or uh, better yet, uh, <clears throat> instead of like the photo of bald husband, it's like maybe she's trying to get dressed for work and she has like one of those like uh those pins, like cancer pins on her shirt because she mm. supports you know the all sure. that stuff and she just gets really sad when looking at it and then she like actively takes it off and sets it aside and boom that's like i've never seen that but that's a great idea yeah that's that's a great way of like putting that into like the idea that's awesome okay oh yeah okay so i'm back on track now so afterwards after sure. this lovely scene there's another scene of Muldoon and goodman but I, I think she's like a few subreddits deep into this mystery and she's I'm making assumptions now at this point. <laughs> Goodman's just back in two thousand six, browsing Reddit. And, and then we cut to uh, uh Faith. Faith's character, she's just like rolling around the hospital, no supervision, on her wheelchair, and um she goes to the stairwell where right? I presume the ghost kid is like luring her up. And then she decides, oh, um, I let me uh, jump. And she kills herself. She just throws out a Yahoo and yeets herself over the banister. Yeah, and say. this is... 
it's so dumb and it's just it's it's also a little insulting to like people with just dementia in a sense like just Mm -hmm. i feel like it was done really not tastefully jake the only taste in this entire movie is the taste of feet (laughs) that sam caught when he was licking Muldoon's feet. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is completely tasteless. It, you know what it is, though? Again, it's a, it's a, it's an oblique callback to the fucking Grudge movie where we see um, the 2004 one, uh, where we see the sister of Matt and Jen in the stairwell, right? And you see the scary lady, Kayako. She's oh, yeah, just chilling yeah. in the stairwell. Like It's like a reference to that. And but here's the other thing, like you, you, we we jokingly said it, but like it is actually really shocking um, that Faith was just allowed to be rolling around in the hospital. This lady murdered her husband, guys. We know this. Why is she allowed to just roll around in the hospital? And and okay, it'd be one thing if nobody recognized her, but I'm about ninety percent sure that two separate nurses were like, "Oh, hey, Faith, how's it going?" As this, like, insane woman is rolling around the hospital, Katie used to work at a hospital. And when she was doing her practicum, um, she was in a unit that would take care of people who who were suffering from, like, dementia and other stuff like that. And Katie said, when that scene came up, she goes, no, there'd be no way in hell that nurses would allow for that lady to roll around the hospital without being fucking followed because that's super dangerous for them, but it's also super dangerous for everybody else. The thing is, is, you know, like as a nurse, you know what the, like who these people are, you know, who's in your charge. So like, there's just absolutely no way that they can possibly have that happen. Anyways, just saying, throwing that out there. (laughs) Okay. I feel like that was just, it had to happen that way for the plot for just that to happen hi yeah i said of course okay. yeah yeah okay so now we cut to muldoon having a nightmare and she she goes to check on her son because like creepy crap is going down she has her gun out again she's ready to hold her ground like you know it's just regular ghost stuff and there's a scene where she um is looking into mm. the bathroom mirror and she lights her on so she turns it off turns it back on nothing and it's pretty obvious what's gonna happen right yeah and then like the ghost appears but then like mm-hmm. Then she walks away, and when he appeared, it's like uh, it's like when somebody opens the door. It's like, hey, I'm done. It's time for you, your turn now. I'm done, you know. And she's back outside mm. having a ciggy. I mean, it was a very weird scene. Yeah, this movie's just kind of bad. And yet we've been talking about it for over two hours. Okay, so basically after the house incident, Muldoon goes to um, goes to Goodman with her son, and basically she hatches the plan to burn down the house has to stop it once and for all. So she goes to Rayburn Drive, leaves her son in the car. Right. And she's like, I'm gonna do some arson, honey. It's a-okay. It's at this point in the movie where it pulls that, like, same, uh, like, in Drew on 2004, where we see, like, what happened in the past. Right. So we find out that uh, Fiona killed her husband and then proceeds to, like, drown her daughter. She drowns her daughter first, and then she kills her husband. I I remember it distinctly because in the movie... She says, look at what I did. And then her husband's like, what the fuck did you do? And then she stabs him and it's oh. the terrible digital blood. Oh, no, no, that was, that was um, coming Fiona out of stabbing herself. Yeah, so after she did the dirty deed. What's that what that was? Um, she's kind of silhouetted in this like pain glass window. And then she like 
there's this terrible effect of her plunge her knife into herself and like this yeah terrible blood is just spurting out yeah well i mean like okay so here's the thing little mo- little bit of movie magic here for all of our listeners silhouetting something means that you can literally do anything you want with it like when it comes to practical effects because it's just black right and you just can't fuck with the silhouette which is super easy to do it would have been the easiest thing in the universe for them to attach a squib to her squib is a like a blood package that explodes attach a squib to her and then just have her stab herself in silhouette it is you could do it at home kids with a plunger like it's not the hardest thing in the universe and yet they failed miserably at the climax of their movie it's like the equivalent of like you're like having like a maid around cleaning the house like she's awkwardly trying to do her job while there's like an argument going on <laughs> like right like Muldoon like goes from area to area <laughs> she sees exactly the scene it's like oh it let's go like, on let's pour it on shit. baby and when she's like at the like mm. <laughs> it's like right Ooh, after the bathroom she's like, ah, dunk 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 and when she sees like Fiona <laughs> shank her herself it's like oh boy come on let's just get this done here Gotta, gotta get out of here, pour some gas everywhere. I will actually say, um, and I mentioned this uh, the first time I watched the movie, I turned to Katie and I, and I mentioned it. For some reason, I really like the music that played at the uh, over that weird flashback montage scene. It was it was like pretty interesting music. Was It did a good job, I think. And I mean, I, I know we haven't really been talking about music a lot because it's not, I don't know, personally, I find that a lot of the music in Juon and, and the 2004 uh, Grudge are not that effective. Like, it's all really atmospheric stuff. But, uh, and I mean, for the most part in the 2021, it's the same way. But I do think that that is something that they did well was, oh, that, was that music and the, that last scene all there. Right. And um, yeah, after, after she's done pouring the gas... Her son appears to her, like, inside the house. We're not entirely sure if that is her son. So what she does is she has him do, like, the countdown thing uh, as she, like, prepares to light it, uh, get her lighter ready. And then we also have this montage of all the murders that's... or all the bad stuff, too, that's happened at the house. And as she's, like... Yeah, and as that happens, because that was necessary, it becomes pretty clear <laughs> that that's not her son, and it's like you know it's a ghost. She's like a spoopy ghost. And uh, when she sets the house ablaze, we find out that well, she guessed right. That was actually Melinda as a ghost. Uh, she, for some reason, she's still living at oh, in the yeah. town. She has she didn't move away, and she's getting her son ready for for to go to school. And um, she basically gives him like a hug before she before he leaves, and then mm-hmm. like her real son leaves in the background which implies that the one she's hugging is like a ghost and then she gets like mm-hmm. ghost dragged away by like Ooh. yeah and then the movie ends with like this like st- this static shot of like well, a ghost yeah, staring was... out of like the window yeah was that what that was I, I fuck me i swear to god i looked for a while but i i must be brain dead or something because i definitely uh did not see the ghost in the window that may ever, be a guess. any times i've that seen this movie guess. multiple times and i have yet to actually see that so my bad <laughs> now you're admitting it okay like all right my percent most likely but uh yeah i mean like i think that that static shot actually is a uh emblematic of a bigger problem no and that's that the director thinks that he is directing something that's better than it is uh because that's the kind of thing that, that that's happened in other movies i feel like I've, I've seen that before uh i've seen that done better in movies that are actually atmospheric and, and creepy these paranormal <laughs> murder horror mystery types they always follow this weird format it's the same with like slender man this grudge yeah. 
the empty man all all these they, they, they follow the format of like oh there's a supernatural creature and we gotta investigate of what's going on but the investigation is like the only thing that's sustaining it like there's nothing really happening and it, it's interspersed with horrors every once in a while that doesn't amount to anything because the characters are kind right. of flat and we don't like any of them and there isn't much of a mystery to hold on to begin with that is is poor writing at the uh, the plain as day when i think about writing i like to think of it as like a three-legged stool so one of the legs of the stool is is plot right it's the story so like you said that's that's the investigation right the second leg of the stool is the setting, right? So that's, you know, whether, and I mean, when I say setting, I mean, how it happens, the world building, the lore, the the filmmaking, the cinematography, like essentially just the field that they're playing on, right? That that's all this is happening. And then finally, and in my opinion, most importantly, is the characters. Realistically, though, you, can, you can't have a story that's good be told without all three of those legs being even, right? Or at least being just as strong as the other ones. Because if it's a little weaker or it doesn't exist at all, you're just going to fall right over. And that's and that's kind of how I think about it. And and a lot of these horror movies, 2004 Grudge included, don't have good characters, right? They have really good, uh, you know, maybe they have really good atmosphere and good setting and and a decent plot. Like this one falls flat on all three, but it's like you know the plot and the setting are like little stubs, whereas the characters just don't exist <laughs> and the 2004 one it's like it's got good plot and it's got good setting but it's got shitty little stubby character you know that's 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 kind of how i like to think about it and yeah that's okay. the biggest issue um okay so before we close it out how would you what would your grudge remake mm-hmm. be like that's a good question well um to anybody who's read any of the things that i write uh they know that my number one thing is character um, I mean, I even just outed myself as a character fanatic in the thing I just said. But yeah, so what I would probably focus on is rather than kind of a wide-ranging story, I would like to focus on probably more focus on individual characters and how they're interacting. Like, I mean, like there's two ways to think about it. If I was going to make a side pull myself, then I would probably just focus on how this is affecting the characters and give the characters, you know, a deep and unique internal life and then throw ghost shit at them and then have them kind of wrestle with that. I mean, really, sadly, that would probably take it out of the realm of a grudge movie and make it more of a just a ghost movie, but I would write it with character focus in mind. Um, on the other hand, if I'm going to make like a side quill that's, that's focusing on operating like a grudge movie, I would probably do something along the lines of even like an intergenerational thing where you're having years later, you know, my family, you know, blah, 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 moved in when we were kids or something, you know what I mean? Something like that, right? Where it's like, oh, here's, here's a good idea right off the top of my head. Family of four, mom, dad, and child move in to the house. The fourth child is away at summer camp. By the time that kid comes home, the family's already dead. Kayako's already killed them. So now, you know, this kid has to deal with the idea that, oh, my parents died in this house, and then he just sits on it or whatever. And then years later, he's in dire straits, and he desperately needs to move in there, and and, and his family, and, you know, he has to move his family somewhere. So 
he packs up his family, his wife and kid, and they head over to the uh, to the uh, to the Grudge House, and now they're getting haunted. And I think the number one thing that I would want to focus on is more so something that happens in Juon and not so much in the other movies, which is the idea of possession, right, or influence. And I think that would be a really interesting or fun thing to do is have these modern people reacting or acting out this family conflict that was happening you know years ago at this point it would probably be like 15 years ago they're re, you know they're they're dealing they're react reenacting it kind of thing because i really did like the idea of like kayako's grudge is influencing all these people down the line to feel her pain right like especially in juan at the very end of it Rika does this thing with her hands where she covers her face with her hands and she has flashes of Sachi, which is the old lady uh, with dementia, doing the old, the, like covering her face with her hands. She gets a flash of, um, of Kayako doing the same thing. And then she can see when her hands are up near her face, she can see Kayako as a human again, not as a ghost. And we kind of get flashes of Kayako throughout the movie as a human now rather than a ghost. And then the last scene is her husband, Takeo, uh, Kayako's husband, walking down the stairs to come and murder Rika. And I would like to do something that kind of mirrors that, where it's like a possession thing. And like the either the main, like the main character ends up being the one who goes and murders his family, who he really loves, and he really wants them to, you know, he really wants them to be together. And and, and I really just focus on the on the grief uh, that he would be feeling because, you know, while he while he loves his family, he's being possessed by this this terrible, you know, grudge. So, anyways, that was right off the top of my head. Don't roast me. <laughs> that was just about to roast you. Oh, don't do it. <laughs> I'm not do it. All right, hit me. That sounds a lot like Oculus. That is very similar to Oculus, now that you mention it. Yeah. Sort of similar. I mean, Sort of similar. No, I mean, like, Oculus is more clinical about it. Like, it's like paranormal activity. Like, they're trying to prove the paranormal activity aspect. I would just prove, I would just do it more like Buddy's in a bad position, and then he's being haunted by the past you know by trauma of the past so i mean again it is it is very similar tonally and kind of like thematically to oculus but i would i would play it more like they're trying to live a regular life in this house when they move into it and then oh shit it turns out no actually there's a ghost there was always a ghost and, how about uh, you? in my <laughs> version i yeah. i don't know i think i play with i keep the structure more or less okay. of like how Some it's more... done maybe Maybe not so much flashbacky, okay. but um, I would definitely play with the idea of like, like that isolation again, that loneliness, and what that kind of means in like an American context. Okay. So maybe it would be dealing with dementia, single parenthood. There's this idea of decay, by the way, in Juan, because like, mm-hmm. Japan is like a very clean place. You can't like eat while walking, because then like you dump trash everywhere, right? And like right. at you know, and there's the idea of decay, sure. like, like you see in the house of Juan, and even in the American in 2004, the house is like mm-hmm. trashed, completely trashed, like each and every and it time. It keeps getting trashed. It keeps getting trashed. Like we see a few scenes where people clean it up, and then the next day or whatever, it's trashed again. Yeah, and um, I'll put in that the idea of like decay as well, like uh, decay of the family okay. unit, where maybe like the husband left because he's mm-hmm. just an asshole and couldn't love his son the way he is. You know, it's right. like. 
and and like the um dealing with like a wife who's just going through dementia these are very real relatable things and it gets heightened with the idea of the grudge and the one okay. thing i will change is that um in all the endings that they, they all everybody just dies like straight up uh one thing i would change whether or not there's a house that burns down maybe yeah i'll keep the houses burning down because why not that's just you gotta have it in a grudge movie or something <laughs> the only thing i change is that um the grudge like the ghost itself sticks around yeah. but it doesn't kill you it's just around and you gotta deal with it. Like it sticks. Like like even though you've you've burnt the house down, it's like it's still like you still see it, right? Is that what yeah, you mean? Yeah. Like it, it won't kill you, mm. but it's around, and it's basically that's a, that's actually a really good idea. Made it like your house is like its house now, and okay. it's just something that you gotta constantly fight against. Like it's a uphill battle mm. all the time. I like. I really like that idea. One thing that I did want to mention before anybody comes for us, any other uh, 2004 Grudge fans, uh, Karen did actually survive the house burning down, even though she set fire to a gas can that was like a foot away from her face. Uh, <laughs> she did actually initially survive that. Um, it wasn't. She didn't end up dying until the second movie, where she uh, jumped off a hospital. Just, just in case somebody thought that I haven't seen these movies a million times. No, it's not. It's not like we haven't <laughs> been comparing those two movies with this one this entire time either. No, no, we have no clue what we're talking about. But you know what, people, people are out there. But I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. But no, I, I actually really like that idea. I like the idea. I think um, because that's how trauma is, right? I like the idea of it. It's constantly there. Like, okay, so, so if you think about it, uh, trauma is uh it's something that that kind of sticks with you so people relate it to scars right so like i have a big scar on my arm and that scar has been with me since i was like seven years old but it hasn't hurt me since then but it's always there and that's how i think about trauma a lot of times is is trauma is something that at first it really hurts right but as the years go by and as, as time goes on and after having dealt with it, like in this situation, I had a big open wound on my arm. I got stitches. That's the, I was, something traumatic happened, but I dealt with it then. But now, even though I dealt with it, the scar still remains. And that's kind of how trauma is. So that, uh, the idea of burning the house down, that's, that's like dealing with the trauma, right? Coming through the other side of the trauma. And now having the ghost hang around you is a really good representation of that scar just still being being with you even though you know you've already dealt with it i have nothing else to say and i'm also tired <laughs> i was gonna say i'm pretty i'm pretty beat that was pretty long um yeah i mean uh, that was that was a lot of fun though well uh thanks for having me on jake that was a lot of fun and uh i hope that anybody who managed to get through this didn't uh catch whatever insanity brought us to do this <laughs> but uh yeah thanks again see you next time